Hey, Marco. Hi, Sam. How you doing? I'm okay. We haven't are recorded you? in a little while. It's no, really it's great been to be minute. back. And I'm going to be driving this one again. Yeah. Okay. This cool. is this is all on you. As always, when I lead one of these little break times, I don't really have a narrative here. I just have uh, something interesting that I read fun, and that I want to share. Yeah, I have fun facts. Right. So this is <laughs> this is a lot of fun facts, and I kind of led into this fun fact because I've been doing a bunch of stuff about not really history and folklore, but about historical linguistics. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you follow the Babayaga Twitter account, which I run, uh, you've been seeing me do a lot of like, like and stuff about languages or like, <laughs> like the, the tweet that I just had, I mean, this is going to date when we recorded this was about the word pierogi, mm-hmm. which apparently comes from like an ancient word meaning party or feast. Ah. And I think that's really great. <laughs> anyway, But what I wanted to talk about here is kind of taking a step back and talking about linguistics as a discipline and historical linguistics and its sort of complicated history and complicated legacy Mm -hmm. and uh, its strong overlap with race science. Because linguistics as a discipline, you know, people have always studied languages and literature, but but as a discipline, it starts in the 1700s in the Enlightenment and Really, the starting gun is when European colonialism really picks up in India and Europeans who have been trained to read, you know, lots of modern languages, but also ancient Greek and Latin, right, Right. which are these important ancient languages. And maybe they've done some Hebrew or something like that, too, some Arabic. Um, They start looking at the languages of India Mm -hmm. and they realize, holy shit, Sanskrit and Latin look really, really similar. Right. Right. And that is... um, that is this great sort of revelation that leads to this understanding that languages have a genetic relationship between each other. And not only that, because people had already seen that like ancient Greek and Latin look similar and that German Mm -hmm. and Latin look similar or whatever, Mm -hmm. like there's, there's similarities, but that those relationships span a much larger geographic area than we've assumed. Right. Indo-European. (laughs) which is where we get the word indo-european language and we still use that term it's still a really useful term because uh a lot of uh blood and sweat has gone into deconstructing in sort of a predictable scientific way the relationships between these different languages Mm -hmm. and it's pretty reliable right at least on a language level it's pretty reliable that we can say okay yeah so the changes in this branch of the family have happened in this way and they have it in a very predictable way and that means we can go backwards and we can reconstruct this in this way we can go forwards and we can sort of say okay yeah these relationships mean whatever right and so that's interesting for some historical questions and as a classicist i use those skills sometimes when i'm talking about the origins of certain kinds of terminology okay but these enlightenment european guys they're not doing <laughs> they have, this they just have a different goal they they have they have different goals or they have they have different uh ideologies right. that they're working in yeah and so they start uh setting out and saying like okay well this is this is crazy this must mean that these language families that we're starting to figure out mm-hmm. that they map really neatly onto racial categorizations in what in what way? How do they? How so do they then, map? so then, the people who spoke these languages, mm-hmm. there is one sort of essential Indo-German or Indo-European mm-hmm. people, right? Uh-huh. 
and that they have a shared origin mm-hmm. and a shared sort of racial categorization. Okay. And so a lot of the German scholars who are working on this in the early days, they really fetishize Indian culture. They're, they think that that's really important. And that's mm. that point we're going to come back to in a second. Uh, and then they figure out, okay, well, Hebrew and Arabic, those look really, really similar. So those are going to be one family together. And so they have, there's a shared like racial origin. Okay. And then, okay. But Between some of the, Indians and Germans. Yes. And just everyone of the Levant. I and guess. then the people in the Levant in between, they have one thing. And okay. then there's a third group. They say, okay. okay, well, the languages of Africa. Well, we can figure out some connections there. And, you know, now we do think that there's only three or four big language groups in Africa. So okay. fair enough, right? So right. Th- there's some sort of connection there as well. Those get mapped onto three neat, and you're going to love this, three neat racial categorizations. Right. And, and the, these racial groups are named after the children of Noah, the sons of Noah in the mm-hmm. Bible. So that's where we get the name Semitic from the, the child Shem, as we have anti-Semitic, right? And yep. the languages of, of the, the Levant are still called Semitic, mm-hmm. so Arabic and Hebrew and some languages further afield. So the, the major languages of Ethiopia are Semitic languages and um, Aramaic is a Semitic language, which is not spoken very much as a common language anymore, but was an important language historically. Mm-hmm. And then you get a second group of people called the Hamites after Ham, one of Noah's uh, children. And those are the African people. And clearly there's a a characterization there. And then you get uh, the Japhites. And that's you and me, Marco. Oh, great. Because we're pasty white people. Yeah. And uh, the the Japhetites. I always forget because it's the, the term that we don't use. Yeah, Japhetites. Because that really quickly gets replaced with the word Caucasian. Because the theory that these German guys in the late oh, 1700s like, come up with is that the Caucasus, Caucasus, which is the area between the Black and Caspian Sea, mm-hmm. so this mountainous highland mm-hmm. area, so modern-day Armenia, Republic of Georgia, Azerbaijan, southern part of uh, Russia, like Chechnya in that area, uh, they decide that the Caucasus is where white people and also people from India and, like, the Indo-Germans, the Indo-Europeans. That's where they originated from, which is uh, largely discredited. Um, yeah. When we still that's talk about trivial. the origins of these languages, we think that they probably originated significantly further north than that in central Russia. Um, again, that's really complicated to try and go back that far and yeah. reconstruct history. Really what I wanted to talk about here is the interesting implications of this tripartite racial categorization Mm -hmm. that is coming out of... I'm not sure how neatly I fit into that because my family's mostly Celtic in origin. Do do we count? Do the Celts count? Yeah, the the Celtic languages are a divergent (laughs) Indo-European branch with a lot of innovation, right? So a lot of changes... Um, but then you end up with these complicated situations. So about 50 years later, Egyptian starts getting deciphered. Okay. And this gets really complicated because, fuck, Egypt is, we want them to be white people, right? Right. Like, this is where you get, you know, the modern evangelical textbooks where it looks like your pasty white dad with, like, the pharaoh <laughs> hat on, you know? We really, yeah. really want, or these people, these German and European scholars, mostly in Germany, they really wanted 
the Egyptians to be European and to be part of the Western cultural tradition, but they're in Africa. And then when you look at their language, it doesn't look like Indo-European language. And really what sent me down this rabbit hole is I was reading a paper about uh, race, racial hierarchy and the categorization of the Egyptian language. Mm -hmm. And the, the, you know, all this stuff that we've been talking about here is in there. But one of these German guys, one of these German guys has this fascinating, fascinating categorization of these three groups of languages. Mm-hmm. And this is from the 1880s in the end, 1860s and 1880s. So these German guys, their original theory for the origin of Egyptian civilization is that it comes directly from India, that there is a group of Indian people who migrate and they must bring an Indo-European language. <laughs> Right? Yeah, okay. Um, because they they do cool things like build pyramids. Because they have monumental and like, architecture have and math. The and Gre- stuff. Yeah, they have math, right? So the Greeks and the Romans think they're cool. And, and Plato and a bunch of important Greek thinkers and philosophers say, well, we're getting our ideas from Egypt, right? right? So therefore, it has this sort of classical grandeur associated with it it's part of this western tradition where Mm. there's a clear genealogical descent of ideas and civilization and superiority because that's a thing that exists yeah this is this is an ideology in search for evidence right right, right? so they say okay well but then we're going to take it one step further and then it must be they're coming from india so there's Mm -hmm. this pure indian indo-european genealogy and that's Mm -hmm. why there's all these interesting religious things because the indians are very spiritual people you know but the language doesn't fit that categorization. Okay. So what is it? It we, we think it's closely related to the Semitic languages. Okay. Um, ultimately, modern linguistics devises a broader category above Semitic mm-hmm. called Afroasiatic mm-hmm. that includes ancient Egyptian and includes the Berber languages and it includes a couple other uh, languages in Africa mm-hmm. plus the Semitic languages. Okay. Um, so it's not Semitic but closely related right yeah. and there are good linguistic reasons for believing that that's not like a crazy idea but the these german guys in the 19th century are freaking the fuck out because <laughs> one of the things that they think is superior but into european languages is that they're uh, morphologically complex that european languages like to conjugate things a lot and do yep. Uh, communicate a lot of information with one ending so you have the third person plural past tense ending that goes on the verb that it's one ending that communicates both tense person and number yeah right yeah lots of indigenous languages in the americas and lots of languages around the world you'll have different endings that do those different things and they just stack on top of each other and the Egyptian language doesn't conjugate very much. It doesn't change words very much. It's not grammatically very complicated, at least in the written form, because mm-hmm. the written form doesn't necessarily indicate the way that the language was spoken all the time. So it, defi- it defies, so ancient Egyptian defies categorization in this system that they're... In this that neat trinary system. It doesn't really match. And when it, when it does look like other languages, it looks more like the Semitic languages, mm-hmm. which we do actually understand now that it's closely related right. to. And this is troubling And to... this is troubling to the Europeans because they want these to be Indo-Europeans. Right. And uh, the thing that jumped out at me in, in this, this article is that one of these guys in the 1880s in Germany 
uh, proposes a way that brings gender into it. So that grammatical gender is the neat breakdown between these three language families. That Greek, Latin, Sanskrit, and German, which are the key Indo-European languages from a German perspective, they have three grammatical genders, feminine, masculine, and neuter. Mm -hmm. Hebrew and Arabic Mm -hmm. have two grammatical genders, masculine Mm -hmm. and feminine, and that the Hamitic languages, this sort of broad grouping of African languages, don't have any gender at all, which is not, strictly speaking, true. (laughs) Um, because you look at Swahili and it has like 17 genders like when you think of gender just as noun class and the way that nouns behave one of the things that the Bantu languages do is they have actually lots of of genders or lots of noun classes and Egyptian does have gender but before we understood that this was really upsetting because being able to clearly mark a gender binary is a mark of civilization Right. right? And that's one of the things that makes Indo-European languages and Indo-European people superior to Africans. And Egyptian doesn't do that. And that's very upsetting. I feel like there's this thing, right, that's happening in this period mm. that we can talk about. Is ha- It's happening, you know, throughout the 19th century, 18th and 19th century. Yeah. Sort of from the European metropoles and in colonies as well. But, right, with this enlightenment thinking and then industrial and once freud shows up you know it gets things even get fucked up yeah bonkier but these things with like categorizing cultures and sort of setting up this is what comes from this culture and this is what comes from this other one as if like they aren't interacting with anything else right this like very right sort of a historical history that's being right. done so like we we see it in all of these periods like with this example of well i really need ancient egyptian to be you know within this family but also its own sort of thing um and we're going to just skip right over the fact that most of our medical knowledge comes from arabic sources and like we're just gonna because it doesn't serve our purpose Yeah, yeah and that we're going to act like the ancient egyptians aren't you know in conversation with the rest of the Mediterranean and Levantine world. Like we're just going to pretend that that's not happening at all. And that there hasn't been, you know, cross continental travel during this entire period. But I feel like there's a lot of people doing something very similar today for different reasons. Yeah. yeah. And it's very frustrating. Yeah. I mean, and this is still a thing that happens in ancient history all the time where, so one of the things that happens with the conversation about Indo-European is that, okay, well we can see that these languages are really similar Mm -hmm. And then we're going to look for similarities in other stuff. So are their stories the same? Mm-hmm. Are the ways that they perform music the mm-hmm. same? And people are like, yeah, definitely, because they're all coming from this shared cultural root, and therefore there must be other shared cultural things. So, okay, then they, they, uh, if you look into the Vedas, the earliest, earliest mm-hmm. Sanskrit literature, there are there's a fire god, a smith and fire god. Oh, well, that's mm-hmm. a Phaistas. Right? Like mm-hmm. that maps on really neatly. Okay, and then you can go into the Norse sagas and then there's a thunder god. Well, that's Zeus. That has to be mm-hmm. the same. And and then you end up with these really ambitious cultural histories where it's like, okay, when we have shared story types. Mm-hmm. And I'm always really skeptical about those things because, you know, one of the things that we know from the world around us right now is that um, 
people learn new languages. Yeah. Right? And it doesn't necessarily erase their culture when they learn a new language, yeah. right? It's not it's not good enough to say, okay, well, there's this language family. That means that there is a complex migration and one population moves in and totally replaces another population. Well, and this is a thing that we've talked about a bunch. Sonia yeah. and I like throughout talking about the holidays and things where there's this idea mm, and it is popular on the internet mm-hmm. that as the Romans moved north through Europe, mm-hmm. that they were just like, all right, y'all are Christian now. And everyone was just like, damn it, we've been colonized as opposed to like mapping you know whatever has been brought sort of that this is a process over centuries of people being like okay well i guess now we have this new building here and whatever and like on these certain days we have to go to it um but i'm going to continue leaving presents for the fairies so they don't eat my baby or which is just pragmatic Right, yeah, like that's yeah, that's, exactly. that's not religion. That's that's science. <laughs> like, can I, can I, we're just circling back to uh, the late 18th century and like weird theories about race science. Yeah. Because one of my other like weird, just I I love this historical tidbit. Do you know who Ossian is? Mm-hmm. Yes, because he made up the the fake the, the fake, fake ancient Scottish, Scottish uh, yes. epic. Yeah. Yes. So these these German. Uh, scientists, the way that they are interacting with Celtic culture is through this fake epic poem yeah. that everybody, like this guy, uh, a guy named James McPherson in yeah. the 1760s mm-hmm. makes up two fake scottish epic poems that he claims that he had translated from this ancient gaelic poet named ossian yeah and it's it's entirely fake but everybody for about a hundred years was like, Thinks no, this is yeah, legit. Like this is, and it's what deep and mystical and spiritual, like <laughs> these, these very pure insights and yeah. very influential on like romantic poetry mm-hmm. and, and the, um, the, like the, the, uh, the neo-Celtic literary movement with like, uh, I don't know in Ireland. Yeats. Yeah. I think that's who I'm thinking of. Um, and then, uh, and Fiona McLeod, which is also the, not a real person, <laughs> because Fiona McLeod was actually well. We don't know. You don't. No, don't. It's, Fiona McLeod did not exist in her own body. Is yes. the consensus on that one? <laughs> but, William Sharp. Yeah, William Sharp. Yeah. But who gets the name Fiona from Ossian, which is a word that was made up. Yeah. And is no, not exactly. a name. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Oh, super crazy. Yeah, but so then these guys who are making up these racial theories, they're literally one corner <laughs> of like European culture. They have this totally fraudulent source for yeah. it. And that's the only source that they're really engaging with. Yeah. Super interesting. Crazy, <laughs> crazy stuff. Anyway, happy Baba Yaga. Yeah. Thanks for taking a break with us. Thanks for taking a break. This Baba Yaga break time was brought to you by Patreon supporters just like you. Follow us at Baba Yaga Project on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok.